That is so nice to have you again on my podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, the pleasure is mine. I loved our last talk and look forward to the, this talk as well. Me too. Me too. Well, your new book is coming out and it's really a beautiful, beautifully written book. And it's not the first one. You said it's 14 books that you have been writing. So tell me what was it actually that made you go into writing in the first place? Mm. Well, uh, I'm entering, I'm going to be 70 next year. And I can say with confidence, I've been writing for more than six decades. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of scary to even think of that number personally. But uh, so I started writing about the age of 10. Uh, maybe earlier, writing letters to my parents when I was away at camp. But I really started writing at the age of 10 when uh, my grandmother and caretaker uh, took her life in uh, in our home. Uh, my parents were immigrants from Europe. Uh, we lived in New York, and she was looking after me. And uh, I had knocked on her door one morning and said, you know, uh, I was asking her if I could go play at a friend's house, and she didn't answer. And that started the whole saga of her passing. She took an overdose of sleeping pills. And my mother, this was the 60s, my mother really didn't know how to handle it. So she was an English major uh, in her university studies, and she went out and bought me a Cahill Gibran journal. And she said, I'm having my own challenges. Why don't you write what you're feeling? Write letters to grandma, do what feels right. So I spent endless hours writing to my grandmother. Uh, and of course, back then, you know, they didn't really talk much to children about death at all. Now everything is pretty much in the open. And so there were a lot of unanswered questions. I didn't even know what questions to ask. All I knew is that there was a big hole in my life. And so I realized at a very young age that writing makes you feel better. Writing can heal. That every time I wrote in my journal, uh, whether it was a letter to grandma or writing about my feelings, I felt better. So I've always used writing as a healing modality uh, when I went through a challenging adolescence. And then when I had a, a daughter who went through drug addiction then when I dealt with two cancer diagnoses, various losses of loved ones, I always turned to writing because it made me feel better. And then I entered a point in life, I thought, you know, I want to share this, this bliss with other people. And so I started writing a lot of articles on how writing heals and helping others write their stories. And so that the journey really started from me, but I'm now trying to spread the word to empower others to do their own writing. And this is all beautifully also laid out in your new book, Hummingbird, which is a very personal book and a very, I said, uh, when we just got on a very vulnerable book, because you definitely talk about these experiences that, you know, your audience didn't know about before. But what I'm wondering when you say healing, writing is healing, some people would say, well, if there are so many unanswered questions and you write them down, don't they just stare at you? And doesn't it feel even worse afterwards? Because there is no voice. And I think with your mother, especially, who didn't really take care of yourself and the caretaker was your grandmother, and then you lose her and you probably were 10 years old and wanted answers. And did the writing give you answers or did it just give you the feeling of getting the answers out of your mind and onto the paper? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think at the time it was more cathartic than anything. It was just getting, sometimes just getting it out and expressing myself made me feel good. Later on in life, uh, when I went for my MFA in writing, I actually wrote a memoir called Regina's Closet, which was a study of why my grandmother would have taken her life. So that's what I really investigated and looked for answers. But I think when you're 10 years old, uh, it's kind of hard to, I didn't really have the emotional or uh, educational tools to figure out why I was hurting and why she would have taken her life. It was just, it was too much for me to fathom. Uh, but later on, as the years went on, as I was journaling, I realized, you know, really she did take her life because she had a childhood trauma. She was orphaned in World War One at the age of 11. And, you know, now there's so much work on generational trauma. And I, I do address that in my book as well. Uh, and so I'm probably carrying some of her trauma in my own genetics. And this is these are all new studies that are now coming out, which I, as I mentioned, I do talk about a little bit in the book. So I did find answers in the sense that, you know, why was I feeling my own angst? I had a really good life. I had wonderful parents. They were immigrants, not home very much, but um, but I felt angst. And so I part of it, I feel like it was connected to my ancestral mm -hmm. lives. I mean, your mother, I mean, your grandmother uh, actually wrote about her experiences. So you knew only because she also was a writer and she also journaled. And uh, I mean, in your book, you you have actually some excerpts in there where she was looking for her mother in that uh, place where all these cholera uh, ill people were pretty much dying overnight one after another. And she lost her mother and grandfather at the same time or very close to each other and then she had to basically be raised or they raised each other the sisters and the brothers left so it's really an unbelievable story of hardship and then having to have the resilience to keep on going and do you also feel like writing was for your grandmother a healing tool Oh, definitely. Yes. Uh, like you uh, mentioned, I did find her journal after she died. I found it in her closet. It was typed on a Remington typewriter and I have one uh, also. Uh, and she wrote about her experiences being an orphan in World War One, and, and parents having cholera and having to go to the infirmary to, to actually identify them. So that was a terrifying, uh, terrifying experience. Of, I mean, imagine the trauma that she lived with after that and beyond and then had an abusive husband, et cetera. So, uh, yes, it was a very traumatic life. And uh, and I think for sure, we, although she never told me because I was so young, I, I'm sure writing helped her heal. And plus, I think she had a sense of passing on legacies. I think she knew that hmm. uh, that she would pass it, that I would receive it. Well, she taught you, me the type, you know, sorry. Yeah, exactly. With the same typewriter or with such an old typewriter. But you also said that uh, there is a parallel between what she went through and COVID. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, it was very interesting because I started writing Hummingbird during COVID. And I started thinking about my grandmother going through the cholera epidemic. Of course, it was way before the Internet. It was way before, you know, newspapers and you know it was the early 1900s and so how people found out that there was an epidemic was that they were dying on the streets or they you know the people were knocking on doors saying you know don't drink the water or whatever they were saying so i realized that the communication we have now is so different and we're so blessed you know to have that all the 
sometimes we get too much information, but I think it's, you know, we have a much richer world in that sense. Um, we're so informed. So I did think of her a lot during the pandemic and how lucky we are to have medications now. Back then, people were just dying yeah. and not informed. Yeah, but certainly... No immunizations either, yeah. I mean, I think what was similar maybe is that tremendous loss that so many people had endured during COVID and that time and also that sense of helplessness. And I think that is where your you know, suggestions about journaling can be so powerful because it does get you out of this helplessness because there is at least something you feel you can do, something you feel like you can be creative or proactive in. And, you know, I often talk with people that go through trauma or just are dealing with a terrible diagnosis and uh, and journaling is certainly something that comes up. But the question that often they are facing is, how do I start? I'm not even a writer. I don't even know anything about writing. And what if, you know, I just don't know how to even put anything on the paper. So what would you suggest? What's, how do people start journaling as a healing tool? Yes, I mean, there's different ways. It really depends on the individual person. Sometimes there are online courses. Some people like the sense of community and journaling with others. Other people will read books, like my book, Writing for Bliss, gives a whole bunch of writing prompts to give you ideas on what to write about. Uh, and the other thing is, if you just want to just pick up, a, I think one of the tricks is picking up a journal that resonates with you, whether you know, it should open flat and it should be comfortable, you should like the cover and you know get a pen that feels comfortable. It's, you should feel motivated to want to write. And then I would say, uh, as a general rule, to do journal to journal every day, 15, 20 minutes, preferably at a time when you're not disturbed. Uh, I'm a big believer in rituals. And so I always tell my students to try to have a ritual before you write, whether it's lighting a candle, having a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, meditating, whatever feels right for you. And just sit down and just write. You can start out as simple as right now I'm feeling like, and you could start writing about I'm feeling happy. But then, you know, it's kind of stream of consciousness running. You don't know where it's going. You might end up talking about a sister that you hadn't seen in a long time, or you might talking about a, a lover that you miss. Or So there's no beginning, middle and end with journaling. It's just kind of free flowing. So I would just suggest just, just write and let your subconscious speak. Don't don't um don't let your editing mind in too much because we you know we're very hard on ourselves sometimes when it comes to editing and grammar and you know spelling doesn't matter in journaling but it is supposed to be done with a pen not typewriter or computer well you know i, I just saw a course at the library here in california this week and we've talked about that a bit and i think uh it's really personal preference. I mean, they have done studies that you are much more creative when you have a pen in hand and you're writing as opposed to on the computer. But there are people that don't like their handwriting and it stresses them out to write. So I say whatever way you can get your words or feelings on a page, whatever works for you is good. But I do, if you have the choice, I would definitely say pen and paper. Someone was asking me, she says, I love writing with pencil, is that okay? And I'm, you know, I'm not a big advocate of pencil because the tendency is to erase. And I think your first instinct that you write down is probably the most, you know, genuine one. So, mm -hmm. but, you know, I'm, I try to make not too many rules with journaling because otherwise it becomes like too academic. And 
Does anyone benefit from journaling? Do you have the feeling this is only a specific creative type? Or would you say anyone just like anyone can benefit from meditating? Journaling can also be a form of that uh, contemplation for all walks of life. Yeah, that's a great question. I know um, there are some people that are better speaking than writing. So sometimes I would say you can dictate into your phone or dictate your feelings and then have it transcribed. Uh, there are people that prefer talking. I mean, I think as a writer, I prefer writing. So that's me personally. Uh, but if you feel like your your comfort zone is more speaking, then you can, you know, as long as you get the feelings out, I think that's the most important thing now to keep them bottled up. And when do you know when to stop? I mean, time 15 minutes could be an easy hint, but is there a feeling that happens after the writing that says, okay, I did it. Now I'm done with it. <laughs> That's a great question. Well, everyone's different. I mean, I say start with 15 to 20 minutes. You might end up journaling for an hour. Uh, I would say just feel when you, people usually feel when they're done. If you start writing and you realize you're starting to feel internal pain and frustration and anger, then I always suggest stopping and giving yourself a break and coming back to that thought because the idea is to have some emotional release, not to get, you know, the idea is not to get stressed out. So if you're feeling stressed, then you probably should stop and do something else. But it's okay to cry or it's okay to write down anger or things that really are maybe you know, intense emotions, but uh, writing about them is not prohibited, obviously, even though they may feel a little stressful in the moment, but uh, certainly something that can also serve as a release. Exactly. Yeah. Anything you feel like writing and some people like doodling, you know, while they're writing just to kind of get their thoughts together or distract them. And so that's fine, too. Uh, and sometimes I suggest to people, if they really are having trouble, just make a list like, you know, what am I thankful for? What, uh, who am I thankful for? What, what memories would I want to keep in a memory box if I had the choice, those kinds of things. And then when you start making lists of things and then you can kind of circle the ones that are resonating with you and then write more in detail. Other people like writing poems, you know, it's a poems are short, succinct ways to express your feelings and that's fine too. Yeah. Uh, and if you're having trouble, I, I always suggest reading, um, you know, you can't really be a writer unless you read a lot. So I suggest reading people that inspire you and then you might be inspired to write your own work. Hmm. And do you feel like, I mean, you had certainly a lot of challenges that you faced in your life and starting with when you were 10 years old and you started writing. But if you're really facing something difficult, like a cancer diagnosis, what would you say then is the best writing prompt just to the feelings or does it uh, does it need to be a healing uh, idea or belief or a future projection or what kind of what did he help you when you were dealing with all of those uh, problems that came your way yeah again everyone's different for me i just would write in the morning and say you know i'm I would do gratitude journaling, what I'm thankful for, what, you know, I'm waking up today. Yes, I have cancer, but I'm, you know, I have a roof over my head. I have a husband, I have children, I have grandchildren. Uh, I'm not, 
you know, I'm, I'm blessed. I have blessings. There are things that are not great. And so you can write about the good and the bad. And you can also talk about, you know, where did I, you, you can sort of hypothesize too, where did I get this cancer? Is there a reason why I might have it? If you believe in body, mind, spirit, maybe you can hypothesize, have I had stress? Uh, how am I going to, do I like the doctor that I have? Um, you know, it's kind of like Anna East Nin said, her journal was her best friend and her confidant. And so, because the, the journal doesn't judge us you know, and it doesn't, doesn't talk back. So there's, there's that blessing also. But doesn't it talk back sometimes? Because I know from journaling that sometimes there are different voices that we can journal from just like as we're tapping into the subconscious, there are different voices that are at work. Some may feel like the voice that has been victimized. And then there may all of a sudden come a voice that feels like, you know, more encouraging or one feels like a child, one feels more like an adult. I mean, do you ever notice that different uh, messengers come through? That's an interesting, I never thought about that, but I suppose uh, when I'm hurting, I guess my child voice comes in, you know, because that's the, that's a little girl in me that's hurt, that somebody hurt me, somebody said something, somebody did something that bothered me. So it's true, the child voice does come in and then then you have the adult voice that responds. And that's actually another really good way to journal is, you know, right now I'm feeling hurt. My best friend said something that bothered me and then responding with the adult voice, like trying to um, be detached from the actual experience. Mm. It would be an interesting exercise. I've not really tried that personally. I know someone tried and I could never do it because my handwriting is already bad enough. But basically, she said, I'm writing with my left hand, the child voice and the right hand, the adult voice, and she was right handed. And it really worked for her. It was literally feeling like channeling different uh, sources inside of her. And it was a beautiful conversation that, uh, yeah, gave her new insights that she never would have had in her head because writing slows you down too. It's not like the thoughts that are bouncing back and forth. And so that maybe something too to to consider. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea. I, I also can't write at all with my left hand. So I'd struggle with that. But I, I like <laughs> the idea of that. Um, the other thing is, if you're having problems with a particular person, you, you know, you might want to have a picture of them on your desk or someone that you miss or a beloved that you're sad about. So anything that would jog memory, I think is a good thing. Uh, artifacts of a person like I, when I was writing Regina's Closet, I had a um, a bottle of perfume of my grandmother's and so whenever I smelled it, it generated memories mm -hmm. of her. So any memory generators um, are good because we don't always write about the present. And that's the other thing we could be writing about the present, but we're always triggered to connect the present to the past. You know, there's something, it seems to me there's always something that happens in our life that reminds us of the past. And so um, memory triggers are really great too. Or eating our food. I mean, this writing about uh, the past or your life, I mean, I think everyone should do it. I remember that uh, my one of my last conversations with my mother was about her life, and I wish I would have recorded it because she gave me all these insights about, you know, the people that were significant and the challenges. And uh, yeah, that was something that I wish she would have written down. But is it something that has a specific... Uh, benefit to writing about one's life it doesn't have to be a published piece but just writing and summarizing or going back and 
Do you feel like that that helps us to make more sense of our current life or it helps us just to put things into perspective? And what did you notice? Yeah, it definitely helps us put things in perspective. And it also helps us, uh, you know, because it was it someone says, Soren Kingar, that um, life is lived forward, but look, but examined backwards. I mean, I think the only way we can examine our life is to look back on it and reflect on it which is very often why I say, you you know, I, most of my memoir students are, I would say, 40 and over, because it's the idea of the memoir is to not necessarily write about what happened to you, but how did that experience that you went through affect who you became, you know? And so you can't really write a memoir when you're too young because you don't have that distance from the experience that you want to understand. Right. Uh, so there's definitely an answer to your question. There's definitely a benefit in in studying and figuring out how our experiences turned us into who we are. And I mean, we know stories of siblings living in the same household, going through the same experience, whether it's trauma or not. And, you know, they come out completely different. So what is it? Is it their personality? Is it like what is it that is different? You know, so it's good to reflect on that. But no, it's interesting. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. I was just saying not to get bogged down. Yeah, well, it's interesting because the siblings also have completely different recollections about what happened when you ask them. The one felt really like, oh my God, this was the end of the world. And the other one was just parents fighting, no big deal. So there's definitely also a personality difference right from the start. But I'm wondering, like, when you look back into your uh, biographies, why did you write Hummingbird? This is not, you know, what did you actually, uh, what did, kind of uh, inspired you or got you to do that? Well, I think i um, getting a little bit bored in the pandemic. I think for one, mm -hmm. uh, I was in my office a lot and I had red flowers outside my office and there was a hummingbird that visited every morning and uh, very religiously would kind of, I felt like was looking at me and giving me messages. And I've always had a picture of my grandmother, my mentor on my desk. And for some reason, something hit me one day where I said, I wonder if that's grandma visiting. And then I started studying hummingbirds and I learned that they really do have a connection to the heavens and they are often messengers. So that's when I started studying the whole, the whole idea when I decided to write the book and about my experience and, and my connection with my grandmother, my connection with ancestors. I also had, you know, my, when my for after my father passed, doves would come to my window all the time, and so mm. whenever I see a dove, I think of him. Uh, so I think I was inspired to study my ancestors during the pandemic. But I also want to make it really clear that ancestors don't have to be blood related. Uh, Native Americans believe that ancestors can be placed, ancestors can be mentors. And I, I'm a believer in that too. You know, I love, I live in California. I love Big Sur. When I go there, I feel like it's my ancestors are all there. I feel, and I, you know, in Hawaii too, I feel the same. So I think ancestors don't necessarily have to be blood relations, but it's any, any, um, anything that really has inspired you or made you who you are and affected, and affected you and given. So I've gotten messages from all those modalities, but during the pandemic, it was mainly my grandmother who was visiting me. And what do you sure. think she said? What was the message? 
she was telling me over and over because I do have bone marrow cancer. I've had it for 17 years and I've not done treatment. I've done alternative modalities. Um, of course, the you know Western doctors want to do treatment, but I have no symptoms. It's just I have funky blood work and I'm refusing treatment. I'm doing meditations, eating well, et cetera. And she was basically telling me, and I was asking her as she was here, what do I do? Because, you know, I'm a little concerned. And she said, I like I've always told you, follow your heart. Just continue to follow your heart. Listen to your heart. Your heart knows. And so that was one of the most important messages. And then the other message was, you know, follow your passions. You know, she said, you, you know that you love to write. So continue. Don't ever stop doing that. Life mm -hmm. is too short. You know, she was telling me life is too short. Well, and you also said that you looked into the eyes of the photographer, uh, the photo of her on the on the desk, and there was really like a connection you felt in that moment, almost like you could, you know, get the messages not only through the hummingbird or also through that. Is that still happening? It still happens. Yeah. I think she was very intuitive in her eyes. I once saw a very well-known uh, intuitive, and she told me that my grandmother was a seer, which is what they called it back then. And she did see um, things that most people didn't see, which is another reason why that I was really, I feel really connected to her because I got messages that no one else was ever able to relate to me. So I, yeah, I do. Uh, I just moved. So she's not on my desk right now, but, uh, oh yeah, she's actually... Yeah, she's on my shelf. I do have her. Yeah. Oh, always, you want to get her? Yeah, she's always uh, it's a very big picture. <laughs> she's always here. Oh, oh yeah, that's the problem with uh, the blurred the background because you have to. I think you have to. Oh, have it's it. because of me. Yes, I think you have to have it in front of your face in order for that to work. I don't know exactly, or you have to turn see, the blurred background out. See what I should do. I'll figure this out. I'm obviously not too savvy. How do I stop this blur? Uh, good question. <laughs> oh, here we go. Yes. Oh. It's, I have a very bright window. So it's like, gorgeous. She has a pretty, she was a model in Vienna. So she had a pretty intense glare. I love also that smile. She has this little tiny yeah she was definitely she definitely saw things that no one else saw there's no doubt about it i mean you write about intuition and uh, and that's something that maybe you have inherited from her this you know ability to see but do you feel like that writing can also sharpen our intuition Oh, definitely, because it can, you know, be in, it could help us get in touch with our unconscious mind, especially if we do stream of consciousness writing. And this teacher I met recently says now they call it quick writing in school, <laughs> which means you know writing without taking your pen off the page for fifteen or twenty minutes. And we used to call it automatic writing, stream of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Now it's mm -hmm. quick writing. So yes, I do believe that I had a lot of surprising. Uh, uh, things come to me through writing that I just, I was in shock about. Like what? Like, you know, I, like when I would start writing about, I was upset about something, but they really realized the core of why I was upset was something else. Mm, that's always fun. 
when you kind of really see this is only a symptom and the real issue is something deeper. Like when you're mad at someone for doing something and you're like, wait, I really wasn't mad at them. I was mad at something inside me that reacted to them. Uh, and again, that's that's the most important thing about writing is it's not so much about your experiences, as, but how you reacted to your experiences. And that's what I encourage my students to write about uh, when they go through cancer, when they go through trauma, whatever. Like, how, how has it affected you? How do you feel it in your body? Where do you feel it? Mm. What does it smell like? What does it taste like? What does it look like? So did you also get more insight about your own cancer diagnosis, what the cancer is actually about, what the messages are, where the root cause sits? I'm investigating that now with a naturopath. Um, and so, you know, my mother's 93. She's still alive, but God bless her. When I was a kid, she used to put mothballs in the closet to save our wool sweaters. And there's been studies saying that Bone cancer can be a result of that benzene, which is a very harmful chemical. Now, I don't know, you know, mm -hmm. it's all speculative. Uh, uh, but, you know, I also believe the mind-body connection, the stresses that we go through yes. in life. I think, um, I think we, you know, I'm sure you've heard that we all have cancer in us. It's a matter of when, is, when and if it's going to grow. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, I definitely believe that there are certain kind of either traumatic events or conflicts inside of us that weaken our immune system and can manifest themselves and also in cancer. And that has been also more and more studied. But it's interesting because I think it can be a path of healing as well when we are uncovering it through writing and just become more aware of what maybe the message of the cancer is. Just we talked about, you know, there is a voice of the child. Isn't there also a voice of the illness? And could mm -hmm. this illness also communicate with us more what its needs or its messages are all about? Exactly. And I did, I tried doing also some creative visualization, which is really interesting too. And I had this visual of, you know, a broom coming through my bones and just sweeping away the cancers. And, you know, I'm a believer in all that. Who knows? You know, I think whatever makes us feel like we're staying healthy, you know, uh, but writing. I know that it works because it worked for a relative of mine who had breast cancer and did visualization. And before she had surgery, she didn't have to have chemo. So she was just uh, planned for surgery. She had been able to reduce the cancer by 50% through the visualization of little fishies coming in and, and eating it away. I mean, she read Bernie Siegel's book and uh, it's uh, definitely something that I think is yeah, we, we have to also sometimes take use of what is, you know, available to us. We just lose too quickly, believe in ourselves and defer too quickly to others. And I think that is also what writing can do for you. It can bring you back to your own voice and to your own wisdom and your own insights and see where it leads you. Yeah, exactly. And I also tell people to write letters in their journals too, because sometimes it's easier to write letters to people than it is to talk to them. So if you're having a relationship problem, or you can even write a letter to your cancer, hey, cancer, you know, right? Hey, trauma, like what's going on? You know, why, you know, I think letters for some reason that dear, some reason it lets us release a lot easier. I'm not sure what the mechanics of that is, but that's something else I often suggest. 
And do you read journals regularly again, or is it once it's done, you move on? I don't read them again. I do have boxes and boxes in my garage of journals. And sometimes on rare occasions, I'm really stuck. I will go and just pull one out and go, oh, that was an article I never wrote. Um, I do teach in my journaling workshops that when they finish a journal, they to highlight what still gener resonates with you on the subjects that you're writing about. And then if you want to dig deeper into those subjects, that would be an idea. But in general, you write it and you're not going a week later back and say, oh, my God, what was I thinking? <laughs> so you just move on. I just move on. But I do. Um, one thing I should say, it's very important to date your journals, because if uh, you do decide to go back and you're like, wow, I can't believe I felt that way about that in situation. Um, it's very helpful. Some yeah. people are afraid that their journals will be read. And that's why they don't want a journal. How do you handle that? I just tell people have no fear. I mean, we cannot live our life in fear. And, you know, I also say that, what are you afraid of? Uh, you know, the stories over time have not changed. You know, there's been love, there's been war, there's been trauma, there's been, you know, all the, all the emotions have been going on since the beginning of time. So your story is unique to you, but it's not, you know, it's uh uh, if you're going to hurt someone, well, and maybe you're speaking the truth, maybe they need to hear it. And would you tell the people around you, don't touch my journal, or there are no real rules, or is there a little sticker on it only for me it's, to use? Yeah, it's a personal thing. I had a friend, he, he died, at, and uh, he was a big journal keeper, and he told his family, you know, please burn these as soon as I die. So, and they respected it? I believe they respected it. And, and that's fine too. That was his choice. But uh, I don't think for the most part, the family is going to spend time to reading, to read journals, especially like if you've, you've been journaling your whole life, that's a lot of reading. <laughs> well, you read your grandma's journal. So. I did, but it was not long. It was, you know, 50 type pages. Uh, okay. So it wasn't. And she wrote that retro, retro, what's the word? Uh, like after it happened, mm. she it after she came, after she emigrated. So it wasn't like writing in the present. Um, but yeah, I mean, to read, because I would say 5%, 95% of what we write in journals is mm, probably not useful moving forward. Well, I, I think it's an interesting thing about reading it, because I think it can also, you know, feel sometimes, oh, no, I understand this person better, but it can also create the opposite. I know a friend of mine uh, read the journals of uh, her mother and uh, and she was really shocked how sometimes her mother was so negative and judgmental of her. And so it kind of even after her passing made her be a little bit upset and uh, and then there were other things where she felt like she understands better why she had uh, certain idiosyncrasies. But in the end, uh, I do agree with you or with this uh, friend of yours. It's probably better just to let them be burnt and uh, let them be personal because it's, it is a personal story and not anyone else's business. But it's also, we have to, we can also think of it as a gift. You know, in my grandmother's journal, she did mention that she was separated from my grandpa and they, was, they were living in the same house. And that was a shock. They were, they were actually divorced and living in the same house. And I was like, wow, 
because they and that and that was the house that my parents had. So mm. I thought it was kind of it was interesting for me. It wasn't painful. It was just like, wow, why did they do that? So I started examining that. Um, I think leaving journals uh, is a gift. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what my kids are going to do. I have three kids. I have no idea. <laughs> I can imagine that. I haven't even thought about it. I guess I should. You remind me to think about this. Now. <laughs> but also a question I had about ancestors, because so many people don't really have any curiosity or any kind of, you know, maybe even respect for their ancestors. Yeah, well, there was a grandma. I remember a little bit something. What do you think is so, I mean, let's say the lineage first. Why is it so helpful and important to really have a closer look at the ancestors and understand better what they did and maybe what they had learned in their life so that we can learn from those learnings. Well, that's just exactly it. I think that there's a lot of wisdoms that we're missing out on if we don't connect with them. Uh, and so I know a lot of the millennials really don't, they don't care about a lot of the, you know, the ancestors and the traditions and the, there's just, uh, for some reason, they want to be independent. They want to break free of all that. Um, for me, I find it a treasure. It's a real treasure knowing uh, and learning whether I, whether I live, leave, probably lead a totally different life than my ancestors, but it's just fascinating to me because I'm a storyteller, you know, uh, and there are, there's always going to be something to learn. Like, what is it? What characteristic do I have? of my great grandfather that, you know, that I'm carrying forth in this generation. To me, that's interesting. Yeah. To approach it with a sense of curiosity. And I think curiosity is dying down a little bit, I'm feeling in a lot of levels. Well, I completely agree. And I had a neighbor telling me that, you know, after 35 years working in the school system, she basically had her last day and she was a little in tears because she said, none of her younger colleagues ask her any questions about what she had learned or found out or worked for her in those 35 years. So she said, all the mistakes that I made, they have to make again. And it's, uh, it's I don't know what it is that we just feel like this is be before the technology age. And that's why these people didn't know what they are talking about, or why we just feel like we have to do it our own. But it's certainly harder a harder path if we are not looking at the people that already have gone the path before us and maybe just avoiding certain traps or following certain trajectories yes i'm sad for her too because there was there would have been a lot to learn about you know you know the successes and failures and obstacles those are all uh, I mean, why do we read? I mean, we read to hear other people's stories so that we know how to lead our lives and how to how to navigate certain challenges. I mean, I, I believe that's why we read, you know, we're, and, and the curiosity. So, uh, I mean, that's why I became a writer and started sharing my work outside of the journal, because I want to help other people on their journey, navigating whatever they're going through and, you know, advocating journaling or advocating self-care, whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, so it's sad to me. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm trying to have hope in the future generation, but there are days <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> but what would you say, like, is uh, the reader or who is the person who should read your book, The Hummingbird? Yeah, I, well, I think it's, uh, you know, 
adults 18 and over, I would say. I mean, I think my grandchildren are little. I'm sure they'll read it one day. But, uh, you know, I think uh, I do talk a, a, a little bit, fair amount about tra uh, generational trauma. So I think the younger, very young, probably won't really understand that. Uh, and so I would say adults, you know, it's an adult, adult book, 18 and over, I would say. What can they expect to gain from it? So if they would say, okay, this is not about hummingbirds, apparently. So I'm reading it because now I'm curious. I like Diana. So what can I <laughs> get out of the book? What do you think will be inspirational for them or useful? Because you have always these prompts, which I love after each chapter on how to actually also use your own writing or how to use what they read in their own writing. Uh, what would you say is probably the thing that you would say is a take-home message or one of the take-home messages from your book? I guess the take-home messages would be that you can connect with your ancestors and learn something. And uh, yes, the prompts at the end of each chapter also help you uh, help you connect in ways that maybe you never thought of connecting and could give you answers that you never, you know, answers to questions maybe that you never posed. And so it's the opportunity to, to grow, it's the opportunity to transform, it's the opportunity to empower yourself as a human being, because we're all here for a short time. Yeah, and I personally find it a very healing book, because it does speak a lot about, you know, the traumas and challenges and losses, but there is always that, that positivity, that optimism, and uh, that, that really strong belief in the good that comes through your your work and uh, so i think anyone who is actually facing challenges can certainly benefit from this book because you are just how you lived your life and also your grandmother there's definitely a lot of inspiration just in that and uh, talking about Thanks. resilience that is definitely your middle name <laughs> gotta be <laughs> yeah gotta be it's uh, for sure so how yeah. do people find the book and where can they find out more about you? And because you do offer also writing classes and courses and have 13 mm -hmm. other books. So tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. Well, my website is dianarab.com, D-I-A-N-A-R-A-A-B.com. And so my website has all the articles I've written and also where I'm holding upcoming events. The book will be released on January 15th, but is available for pre-order now and uh, through the publisher, which is uh, modernhistorypress.com. So it's available for pre-order and uh, it will be available on Amazon on January 15th. Uh, and so if anyone wants an autographed copy, they can email me and I can send them a book plate, you know, once they purchase the book. And that's basically it. All the information about me is on my website and I'm available to travel, to give workshops and inspirational lectures. If anyone has a desire to have a speaker. Well, thank you so much, Diana. I'm really happy that we talked again and I certainly highly recommend this book. It's, oh, there are some books you just start reading and you cannot stop because it pulls you in the story and the way you describe you know, the real interesting settings and changes in your life and the ups and downs. And, and you always pull the reader back in by 
asking them so how does this you know reflect to your life and what can you also maybe write about when it comes to your challenges so we always have this opportunity as readers to also take in what you said and not just dissociate from it but also then reflect on our own existence and see that there are certain things that we probably haven't worked through or need to reflect on so I think it's a healing book and I appreciate so much that you wrote it Oh, thank you so much for saying that. And I really appreciate you having me on your program. I just love your program and all the work you're doing also. Thank you. Well, thank you. until the next book. <laughs> okay, happy holidays. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>